From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 588, Exchange Updates with guest Gareth Gudger, recorded Friday, May 4th, 2018. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. Bringing back my guest today, Gareth Gudger is a Microsoft MVP specializing in Exchange and Office 365. He started his career in 1999 working on NT4 and Exchange 5.5. Ah, painful days. For most of his career, he's held in a consulting role, primarily delivering Microsoft technologies to businesses, and he holds several Microsoft certifications, including an MCSE in messaging and an MCSA in Office 365. He blogs at supertechboy.com, a site focused on Exchange, Office 365, and adjacent technologies. Welcome back, sir. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me on the show. I, I can't believe it's been a year and a half since our last show. Time flies. Yeah, oh, I keep making the darn things and the conversations continue. It's kind of an endless process, but it is interesting to see the story arc in different topic areas. I mean, you know, there was a time when we sort of debated about whether we were going to use Office 365 or not. And it's getting harder and harder to justify on-premise mail these days. Like It's expensive and it's time-consuming and it's got reliability challenges and the cloud is pretty darn reliable. Yeah, it's, and, and just also I want to say congratulations because you're close to, what, 600 shows and looking back and how far your shows go and you kind of mentioned it, just, you know, it sometimes it's interesting to go back to, you know, your earlier shows of 2007, 2008, just as a retrospective of where we've come from and where we're, you know, now where we're going or where we are. For sure. It's a crazy journey. The thing I find funny looking back, I think I did this on that show 500 more than anything, was realizing I started an IT podcast about Microsoft technologies at one of the very darkest times to be in IT in my Microsoft stack, right after Vista had shipped. And we were just in this crisis about well, what are we going to do? The, you know, our users are revolting against it. It's got all kinds of security problems. Like, it was not an easy time to be doing that. And I didn't think anything of it at the time. It's only now looking back and looking at the world we're in right now that you sort of get a contrast of, you know, you don't know how dark things are until the lights turn on. Yeah, definitely. I, and I think with all the development going into the cloud, right, by the time we get some of these products back, you know, by the time we get Exchange 2016 CU9, I mean, that code has been so well tested in the cloud Yeah, compared to like Exchange 2010 and doing service pack updates, man, these, you know, knock on wood, I'm going to jinx myself now, but knock on wood, these CUs have been pretty flawless with regard to the actual update process. I think the big thing that's happened, and you've seen this across the suite now, is all of the products live in the cloud first, get tested in the cloud first, really get the heck knocked out of them in the cloud first before we even get an option to have them on-prem. And it's not just Exchange, it's SharePoint. I think it's even becoming SQL these days, that more and more, the first version is the stuff that runs in the cloud, and we are getting it later on-prem. And it, it's just making life a little less painful, I think. We're, we're not as near the test animal we used to be. Yeah, I, I would say a lot of that code you know, exists probably six months in the cloud before we get it on-prem. I mean, sometimes it's interesting just to do like a, 
you know, like a, a get object command of some type in PowerShell just to see what the object versions are. Right. And then compare that back on prem. I'm like, man, there's so many more versions ahead of me. <laughs> and it is a little bit of a shame to know that some of those features are never going to come on prem, right? We're never going to see right. teams on prem or anything no. like that or Office 365 groups. But it is interesting to see like I said, sometimes how far ahead their version numbers are compared to our on-prem products. Well, and, and their willingness to experiment up there, you know, the, some of it is not very public. You, you have to poke around under the plumbing to really see, hey, they're A-B testing stuff here. <laughs> There's interesting little features that pop up and go away and things if you hang out in Office 365 enough. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. The, clearly, the locus of development of innovation, especially in the Office suite, it's happening only in the cloud. It's not just Teams, it's Graph and it's Delve and it's all of these different bits and pieces that are, I think, making that collaboration story come true in a way we've never really been able to execute on-premise. Yeah, and, and you know, unfortunately that can kind of make organizations that are on-prem right now and don't have a plan to go to the cloud or at least not to move. They, they do have a hybrid, but they don't move their workloads yet to the cloud you know, sometimes they can feel neglected, right? It's like, well, I'm not getting this feature. But we've, we've got a lot of nice announcements that came out from Last Ignite that mm-hmm. we're getting towards the end of or second half of this year. Second half of 2018, we're supposed to see Exchange 2019, yeah. SharePoint 2019, Skype for Business 2019, Office 2019. So there's a lot coming out in the second half of this year for on-prem. Yeah, I've never been the person who thought that like we are beholden to Microsoft. We wag the dog here. Microsoft goes where we want them to go. And the fact that we refuse to go all in on the cloud, or at least all of us anyway, enough of us are sticking with on-premises, they're going to keep making product for us one way or the other. They may make it a different way like we're seeing, but they are still making it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you look at it, right? So it's cloud first, as we've mentioned. You know, if they're spending, you know, all the research and development in the cloud, and, and I'm sure there's some that still has to be done when you're essentially porting it back to on-prem, but you think a lot of those dollars are going towards the cloud product. It makes you kind of wonder how much, you know, does it cost them to bring it back on-prem? And right. I'm not a developer. Maybe I'm completely off here. But, you know, in a way, the on-prem product is really gaining a lot of the benefits of the money spent in the cloud. And I, I think as far as Microsoft goes, you know, I think as long as there's people that are going to stay on-prem and there's money to be made selling licenses on-prem, I think we're going to see those products probably for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not that concerned. And and every, you know, how many times have we been threatened with, this is the last version of SharePoint, this is the last version of Exchange? Like, And not that they say it on stage or anything, but there's always that little rumble. And I wonder if it's just, they're literally testing our perseverance. Like, you guys really want this? Yeah, public folders are gone. <laughs> yeah, how many times have public folders been gone? I love that. Here's the thing. We should go back through the catalog of nearly 600 shows here and say, how many times have I done a show about how public folders have to go away? Yeah. Because I, I bet you it's four or five. Yeah, and, and I'm sure they're going to be around in Exchange 2019 when that releases, obviously, <laughs> that are in Office 365. And actually, I think it was just in the last month on the Exchange team blog, they announced that they actually increased the capacity from, I think, 250,000 to 500,000 public folders online. So they're still investing in, you know, oh, man. kind of increasing uh, what you can do with public folders in Office 365. I mean, obviously not new development, new features, but expanding what, what you can do with public folders from scale. And you got to know they didn't add that feature randomly. There is a major customer of Microsoft somewhere that's hitting the $250,000 item mark. Yeah. Which is terrifying. 250,000 public folders. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And I don't think that's enough for some as well. I mean, I'm trying to remember <laughs> back to, 
you know, back like the Microsoft Exchange conference, you know, the MEC 2014 type conferences, right? Where you know there was those conversations, you know, they asked Microsoft anything conversations, and there was hands going up of how many people have more than a million folders, and wow. there were hands going up. Yeah. So at least back then, we knew people had even bigger implementations of public folders. And just talking to different consultants around the industry, I know 500,000, there's still people over that as well, which like, you know, I'm with you. That's mind boggling. Yeah. I, I can't imagine a public folder uh, installation that big. I mean, for me, luckily, most of my customers are either they've gotten rid of public folders or it's so small and outdated. You know, it's more just for historical at this point, or we're converting them to shared mailboxes, or if they're going to Office 365, maybe we're converting them to Office 365 groups. So Yeah, the one drive for business effect. We've done a couple of shows in that area. This idea of just, I'm no longer going to count on the diligence of the user. I am going to build in mechanisms where an attachment coming in an email simply gets mapped into a folder and you have a link and there's no further discussion. Yeah, stop using Exchange like a file system. Yeah. Really, the OneDrive for Business's ability to, to share that out automatically and to attach those files easily with your Outlook client I mean, that's a wonderful thing. And then also, you know, SharePoint as well doing that. So, yeah, there's really no reasons to be sending your Excel sheets or your Word documents back and forth to each other. Use the power of OneDrive. Use the power of SharePoint really to get that versioning control of those documents. It it makes collaboration so much easier. Yeah, not having a dozen copies of things and trying to figure out what the current one is. And three different people made revisions on three different versions. And now what do you do? Like, that stuff's resolved. I do think for... Us as IT pros, it's about making sure that this righteous path is the path of least resistance to that the easiest thing to do. And that's why those policies seem so cool is that it just pushes it into SharePoint and you're sharing a link and you're working off a common version and versioning is handled automatically for you. Like it just has to be painless because they're not going to jump through the hoops. Yeah. Some of the other big things, obviously, you know, to give some love to the on-premises, we do obviously have some announcements that have come through in the last few months regarding to end of life for some of our Exchange products. Right. We've got Exchange 2010 has a year and a half left. Of extended. Yeah, extended before yeah. it fully goes out of support. And after January 2020, there's no more updates at all. I mean, it's kind of really at Microsoft's discretion if they even do anything, then it's probably going to be a security update, if anything. I mean, yeah. we have seen it. In the last year where Microsoft was nice enough to go back and even patch uh, Windows XP, I think, was it for WannaCry? Yeah. So it's very unlikely we're going to see anything for 2010 after after January 2020. I mean, it would have to be a significant security flaw to see a patch after that time. It is funny to think about 2020 is close enough that you better have plans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, depending on how long your organization takes to usually move on plans and, and procure hardware or have a plan to go to Office 365. Yeah, there's plenty of organizations that might need to start right now that planning. And at least, if anything else, the budget for next year to you know to get yeah, that going. To really look at it. And then the other news is, is back in April last month, we had the announcement that Exchange 2013 has left mainstream support and is right. now an extended support. So It's in the same pattern that 2010 was on. Like Bit by bit, these older versions, you, you need to move them up. Yeah. So the big thing with 2013, I mean, so what happens when you go from mainstream to extended is essentially... You know, there's no more commitments to any updates, you know, based on what we've seen historically. Yeah, you're still going to probably get updates for the next five years. Right. But there's no there's no guarantee that there's going to be any more cumulative updates. Now, Microsoft has committed to a June update. But after that, they've made no guarantees that there'll be any more cumulative updates for 2013. So all your dev is going to be 2016. And when 2019 comes out towards the end of this year, that's where all the new features are going to go. 
If you're going and looking at new licensing and new hardware, inevitably, and you start putting those numbers together in your budget, suddenly the price of Office 365 has to be part of that consideration. It's like rather than us buying all this new gear and renewing that contract with that provider or in that data center, like you've got to take those numbers and sit them beside what enterprise class Office 365 for your office looks like. Yeah, and it makes sense to you know a lot of C level, you know, like CFO type CIO mm-hmm. because you know essentially you had this what financial graph where you had these you know crazy expenditures like every four or five years or however often right. you're refreshing. But now you're you're looking more at an operational expense model with Office 365 where you know that for your number of users it's going to be this price every single month, sure. you know, unless you're adding users or removing users. But essentially, you know, it's going to be pretty close to that same number every month for those features. And you're really spreading out those costs. So that subscription model is very appealing, I think, for a lot of people that are doing those budgets, rather than saying, oh, you know, in two years, I've got to spend 20 grand on new exchange servers or 30 grand or whatever it costs. And and not just that, but backup software, maybe message hygiene software, load balancer software, you know, all those extra pieces that exchange is going to need. You know, and then like you were saying with data centers, I mean, the cost of just running those servers in a data center with heating and cooling and, yep. and even real, real estate of those servers, right? If you're hosting it somewhere. There's a subtle piece I've dealt with with mail. I happen to own a very old domain. I own gu.com registered in 95 and it gets several million spam a month. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot. I own a DDoS <laughs> attack. All I have to do is change my Amex record and I'll ruin your day, right? <laughs> Yeah, Because it's on every list under the sun. Yep. So, you know, the interesting thing when you move to the cloud on a lot of this stuff is I don't own the cost of the bandwidth battering that is taken trying to get mail into mailboxes. I only deal with the cost on my bandwidth for my office with picking up the actual mail from those mailboxes that now live in the cloud. It's not even really the bandwidth because... You know, it's more of the, the processing power and all the other stuff you're going to need to run that hygiene sure. solution. I mean, even before Office 365 was a thing, you know, even before it was EOP, I mean, back when we were looking at the FOPI days and even before the FOPI days when it was front bridge, you know, whatever it was, I mean, even the recommendation 10 years ago for me was like, there's providers out there on the internet which can do all the message hygiene for you. Whether yeah. back in the day it was like an MX Logic or Postini, MailRoute, like there was a ton of them. Yeah, and they, and they were a good service to pay for because it did take that front load off of you. Yeah, and, and looking, I mean, pretty much for any organization, that spam was probably ninety five percent of all your traffic coming in. So sure, hey, get ninety five percent removed up, upstream. Yeah, definitely, completely made sense. So I do think there's another aspect, and I hate to just go into the finances of being IT, but we've done this long enough to know this is an important part of that equation. The nice thing about the monthly billing is it's easy to disperse it to the departments. I don't know if you ever had this battle, but we're getting ready to acquire a new implementation of Exchange. So it's a set of licenses, a set of hardware, migration, new contract. And I'm expected to break those costs down across the company to show what portion they're paying for. And it's a fight every time, every few years. But when it's monthly billing based on users and those users work in those departments, dude, that bill goes to that department. That's how that works. Yeah, you know, as a consultant, yeah, every now and again, we, we do have that, hey, help me budget for next year. And like you're saying, sure, I, I've definitely run into that where each department has their own cost center yep. or, you know, bucket of money, right? They're all allotted, they're each own piece. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it can be very challenging. I think the more mature organizations, they kind of stay away of, hey, it's just an IT expense or it's all IT. It's now 
let's allocate these to the different business units. So Right. It's normal. Well, this whole thing of making IT its own cost center isolated from the revenue streams of the company is a great way to get your budget cut constantly. Yeah. So you've got to be able to map those costs to revenue sources. I provide you email, you use email to make sales, email is part of your your cost of goods. You know, you've got to go through that process. It's not fun and sexy IT by any stretch of the imagination, but it's one of the ways that you get breathing room because you're part of the value proposition of a company to expand and experiment and scale and you know try new capabilities. So one of the things that actually has me a little concerned, and this was an announcement that was actually back in December of last year, and it was an announcement that it was going to be March, and they've since pushed this back to October 31st of this year, so Halloween, right? Is that Office 365 is going to be dropping TLS 1.0 and 1.1 support? Is that have you seen that, Richard? Oh, absolutely. And I had Ned Pyle on a while ago talking about getting rid of SMB one. I mean, you want to talk about WannaCry? Like there it is, the vehicle, right? Like we definitely need SMB one gone. It's just not that easy to pull off. It's everywhere. Yeah, and I think the big thing, uh, essentially, uh, with the TLS protocols, getting rid of TLS 1.0 and 1.1 and forcing 1.2. Is this, you know, for these organizations that have gone to Office 365 and hey, they're using the click to run Office 2016. And right. I'm sure when Office 2019 comes out, they're going to potentially use that. Although I'm not sure what all the requirements are going to be to run 2019. But the ones that have 2016 right now, I've seen a lot of organizations where they're still on Windows 7, right. they're on Windows 8, and they're not on Windows 10. And the big issue of the TLS requirements is it's not based on what your Office client can do or what your Outlook client can do. But it's based on what the OS does. Yeah. And I'm definitely concerned there's going to be a lot of organizations not ready when that TLS 1.0 or 1.1 switch gets turned off. Now, Windows 7, Windows 8 can do it, but not natively. It's natively not configured to send its Outlook traffic over those protocols. So now you're talking about reg hacks and other stuff to make that work. And I'm not sure if that message has gotten out to enough organizations yet. So to me, it's really, hey, just get on Windows 10 already. But yeah, I think if, you know, if you've got those organizations still on the 7 and 8s, that's a big concern because I know I'm running into a lot of organizations that still have that as their primary operating system for Office 365. And Win 7 is hitting 10 years old too. So, you know, time's upon us. Hey, Gareth, I've got to take just a moment here for this very important message. This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by SQL Intersection. Eight full-day workshops and over 40 technology-focused sessions make SQL Intersection a unique source of the best information around SQL Server from real-world consultants and the members of the SQL Server team. You'll learn proven problem-solving techniques and technologies you can implement immediately, as well as learn about the future of SQL Server. Get answers to performance monitoring, troubleshooting, designing for scale and performance cloud, as well as new features in the latest version of SQL Server. It's time to determine your migration strategy, and SQL Intersection is the place to figure out the best way to do it. Come to SQL Intersection at the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, December 3rd to 6th. Use the code RUNAS to get your discount on your registration at thesqlintersection.com. And I'll see you there. And we're back. RUNAS Radio. I'm Richard Campbell here with Gareth Gudger. We're talking a little exchange and all of these bits and pieces that are happening to us bit by bit. Yeah, it's interesting to think about folks still running Win 7 as the new security requirements come down and you're not getting a lot of patches. I've got to think there's going to be a wizard or some kind of tool that's going to help us hunt down where TLS 1 and 1.1 are still living and help us upgrade that stuff. Yeah, and I think that's certainly going to, you know, we're going to get that report that's going to help us, you know, we'll have that client report in Office 365 to help us identify what kind of devices, what kind of apps we have connecting, what they're connecting over to try and at least identify. 
I, I think the bigger issue is, is the organizations that clearly know they have Windows 7 throughout their entire sure. environment. You know, I, I can think of clients right now and it's like, they are Windows 7, you know, mm-hmm. all 10,000 users. So Man. they've got a lot of planning to do before and training of their users before October 31st. I kind of wonder if Microsoft's going to push that date back again. I kind of feel like it will because they, they haven't made enough noise right. about getting moving. Yeah, certainly. And I think that's the big issue is it just there's so many organizations that don't seem to know about this. So there's going to have to be more noise made. Now, now that deadline may, may stick. So we certainly want to tell people to keep planning now for it. Well, and when we're recording this, which is in early May, the Windows team is essentially in disarray. You know, this latest reorganization inside of Microsoft has kind of not made a central, you know, Terry Myers is moving on. There's no central Windows team per se. There's, you know, a group under Belfiore and a group under Azure and like they're sort of scattered around right now. So I think it's actually challenging for folks that are responsible for the care and feeding of Windows and organizations to know where am I getting my info from? Like, what is the coordinated message? Because, you know, the need of an operating system is not going away, even if Microsoft's organization is making it less clear what that even looks like. Yeah, I, I think, you know, going back to more of the exchange angle, there is some great articles out there from uh, Microsoft's Brian Day out there on the Exchange Team blog, where he, he's got a three-part series. I believe he's already got his first two parts published, where you know it's telling you how to get your Exchange servers up to par, so they're talking over TLS 1.2, and then also how to get like your Outlook and other clients up to 1.2. So you know, I'd recommend your audience read that, just to try and figure out how to get, even on-prem, because even if you're not going to the cloud, it's also right. a good article to how to get your on-prem to 1.2 as well and get 1.0 and 1.1 out of your own on-prem environment. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's a, it's good advice. Where are you seeing Office 365 resistance the most or sticking with on-premises exchange? Like, uh, uh, Do you see particular areas or is it is it a particular vertical? Like, wh- wh- Where's the resistance there? I don't think it's a particular vertical. I mean, I've certainly seen, I mean, obviously we know that Microsoft has their government data centers. We right. know that the sovereign data centers for specific countries. As far as verticals go, I mean, I've seen healthcare go up there. I've seen you know commercial and all kinds of different businesses go up there. So I don't think it's you know any particular vertical, at least not the ones that I've worked with, where there's any resistance of going up there. Obviously, when Office 365 first came out, we were seeing a lot of small businesses go up. Now I'm certainly seeing a lot of big, big enterprises going up, You know, over 100,000 users. So I don't think it's really either the size of the organization or what that organization does. I think it may kind of come down to culture sometimes of mm-hmm. how people, you know, feel about the cloud and, and that kind of stuff. You know, there has been security roadblocks that, you know, Microsoft is continually knocking down. Obviously, Microsoft's doing a lot more when it comes to PCI and GDPR and stuff like that. So I think to quote Microsoft, you know, they're looking for the roadblocks to knock down. So there's no reason for you not to go to the cloud anymore. And I right. think as the months and years go by, they're doing a much better job to remove all those problems people had of, well, how about this or how about that? I'm, I'm really not seeing many arguments for not to go to the cloud. I do see a lot of organizations that want to stay on-prem just because, hey, we like to manage stuff ourselves. Sure. Or, or we like to control. Control is always an aspect of, hey, I want to be able to control. I would say anymore, the bigger concerns are more around controlling how features are either released or removed from users. I would say that's probably the bigger issue is, you know, with on-prem, you drop a new Exchange server on and, hey, that's what you get for the next five years unless you're doing CU updates and there's a new feature. And I think what a lot of organizations are are saying is, hey, the change is too fast, even on the standard slow ring. You know, we got features coming in all the time. It's hard to keep track of all the new features because Microsoft will tell you, hey, we've released this many features in a year and it's a lot. 
but also the removal of features saying, hey, that you know, we're getting rid of this feature, nobody's using it, or maybe very few people were using it. So I think that change control and getting the users trained up on those new features, I think that's some of the resistance I've seen. And so th- I think what that kind of comes back to, again, is control, being able to control the environment. So you know, I'm not having to train my users every week or every month on, hey, there's this new widget or new feature that you need to know about, or this button's moved over here, or the button's been renamed, or you know, that kind of stuff. So well, just being able to do that normal practice of testing this current build and knowing how it's going to behave in your environment, like they're at a cadence now where it's just hard to keep up. I don't think it's feasible. Yeah, I think it goes back to your, your prior point about the A B testing it. You know, yeah. the cloud is essentially A B testing. Yeah. So you know, obviously, as I, I kind of briefly touched on, there are, you know, you could be first release, you can have some of your users on first release, you can have the rest of your users on a standard release. That kind of works out well for some organizations because they say, hey, if I, maybe I've got my IT department on first release or maybe my corporate communication people on first release, that way we can maybe get ahead of it a couple of weeks or a month ahead or maybe even more and at least start building that uh, training material, that communications to our end users. So that works well for some organizations, but for others, yeah, that's still too much change mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that, that can affect their users and, and, what, and then essentially their, their users' productivity and extra calls to their internal help desk and that kind of stuff. I also think there's an aspect here of just trying to decide when are you willing to, or is your testing requirement too arduous? When's the last time a CU broke an exchange server? Right. Honestly, I think the last time I saw stuff go south was, like I said, 2010 service packs. Yeah. There were service packs in 2010 a bit, but I remember a couple of rough CUs in 2013. Yeah, there was a couple in 2013. I think there was one that uh, had broken certain aspects of the hybrid configuration wizard. And then we had to wait a whole quarter to get the fixed version. Which is crazy, yeah. And I think that was probably one of the big reasons why the hybrid configuration wizard was pulled out of the CU and pulled out of the product. And now it's a standalone wizard that you download and run. So yeah, we definitely saw some stuff around the CU, CU5 timeframe. We still see stuff, you know, the Microsoft team's always been pretty good about blogging and saying, hey, there's this new CU. We found a couple things that were reported to us super late before release that we couldn't get, you know, into this build and tested. So it'll be in the next CU. But it tends to be fairly fringe cases. I mean, sure. at least for everything 2016 that I can think of and, and probably everything from about 2013 CU7 and up. I can't really think of anything major that that really broke that wasn't even, you know, a fringe case where it was like you had to do X, Y, and Z to have this failure rate. But the CUs themselves, the installs have been pretty good. And like I said, I think the hybrid configuration was it being broken uh, was the one that, that really springs to mind early on in the 2013 days. Yeah, in terms of the recent ones. And it just in the, sort of this point of having flipped over to this new model where they're exercising these features so thoroughly in the cloud before we even get a shot to install them lowers that need to really bench in great detail. I mean, to me, the only thing that's significant when you're going on-prem with these builds now is how exotic is your hardware configuration? Like, if you're anywhere in the normal sort of pattern of how Exchange should be deployed, you should expect it to work. Yeah, and I think going back to your other point as well about, you know, what what's the other resistance to the cloud? I think we have seen issues, obviously, where things have been down in Office 365. And yep. uh, I would say... A lot less than what it used to be. <laughs> well, I would put Office 365 uptime against anybody else's data center any day of the week. Yeah. No, not perfect, but neither is anybody else. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I think, you know, sometimes those those downtimes, even though if Microsoft can say, hey, we're still getting five nines or whatever, it, I think it's, it's so visible. Uh, and, yeah. you know, I think it puts a lot of people off. And there's certainly been changes, you know, 
pushing outages aside a little bit, there's certainly been changes that have had issues that have had to come back. I mean, in the last month, we had an issue where there was a little bit of change to how ATP did uh, did stuff and how EOP was catching spam. And a lot of people said, hey, there's a lot of legitimate mail all of a sudden getting flagged in my spam, which is legitimate stuff. Even messages from Microsoft were going in there. you know, And it, and it was because of, hey, Microsoft kind of turned up a couple things security-wise, and then they had to back it out. Right. And now they, they did a few things, and they turned it back up again. So there's certainly, I think, maybe some resistance there as well, where where there's been things that have changed or broken and people are saying, hey, I'm not ready for that. My my exchange environment is kind of like on-prem, it is in a state where it's been working, will continue to work. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm, not, I'm just not going to touch it. <laughs> yeah. Well, certainly we got into that pattern back in the 2010 days where it's like, you don't install CUs, you wait for the service packs. And then the service pack bit us. Wait, no, that's, but, you know, that was part of the, you know, you decide what line you need to be on, like how quickly you want to move here. I think that's still essentially true. Yeah, I don't know that I would I would want to try and be more up than Office 365 with my own exchange installation. I, I don't think I'll win. Yeah, and I think as far as the security questions go, and Microsoft plays this argument quite a bit, and, and I think it makes sense, is that, uh, you know, hey, we're spending this many billion on security versus what can you guys spend sure. on your own security, right? So I think... I think I'll go for the uh, Microsoft with the Azure MFA and, and other stuff every time. Well, I also appreciate that their viewpoint, that they're seeing attacks at such a wide scale across all of these different customers that are using Office 365, that they're able to put protections in place long before we could respond and long before it even hits our own servers. Yeah. So, you know, they have a, a much higher perch above the security context in this black hat context that they're simply able to not only they got the best people and full time but they actually have a better view of the of the problem so they're addressing it earlier most of i think they're they're knocking out stuff we never get to see that it's already fought before it ever arrives in our in our space so uh what's next for you gareth we're going to see it ignite yeah i don't think it's going to be ignite i did ignite last year and I think it's a uh, make way and let, let some of my other guys go to ignite and sure get them get them down to experience that i think the next time richard will probably see each other might be uh, the next mvp summit yeah, yeah. that happens so that happens that way too yep yeah, it was weird to have it in the spring this year it's normally in the fall so but uh yeah i i, I would suspect we're probably gonna keep it in the spring based on some of the feedback we were seeing about it being too close to ignite and all that kind of stuff yeah. so no being up in march i mean march in seattle is not the most pleasant time to be there said the guy who lives in vancouver so what do i know <laughs> but it's not horrible and it's always good to get together and to see what's going on well i i originally come from the united kingdom so to me seattle in march is like a it's like a british summer for me i yeah. mean it <laughs> it's nice and rainy and windy and <laughs> yeah kind of normal uh, right kind of kind of normal so. yeah <laughs> That's certainly the way I think about it. But, you know, you see, you, you meet folks that have coming from other parts of the world. This is their one trip to the mothership a year, and uh, they're stunned at how cold and wet things are. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things I really love about the MVP program is just being able to connect to, you know, whether it be over email, IM, or at the summit, just being able to connect to people that are from all countries around the world and different cultures and understanding different problems from different areas. I mean, it, it's such a rewarding experience to, to meet MVPs from, from everywhere. Absolutely. Hey, Gareth, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, Richard. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.